Um, but you get all those little letters like Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. Um, and then you get Thessalonians. Okay? If you get to Timothy, you've gone too far. And you can find it on page 1189. Okay, once you've got that, you can pop that in front of you and uh, not worry about it too much for the minute. So, what's been happening? So, if we think about um, these letters that Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, they were some of his earliest letters that he wrote. It's the first time, really, that he would have written uh, the greetings that he starts with when he says to the, um, to the church of Thessalonians, in God our Father, and then he adds this amazing revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is... That's just commonplace for us, isn't it? We don't think about it for a second. But this is the first, earliest letters when it's written, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing to them, um, like lots of other little churches that he's uh, been involved in starting. Uh, They are riddled, they are overwhelmed with persecution. When he first goes there, um, he basically has to leave because the persecution is so bad. And the little tiny little church that he's been meeting with, those leaders, um, we hear about it if you want to catch up in first session, are dragged out and basically told, look, we don't want you to speak of Jesus, we don't want to hear about it, and if you have that guy back, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. We don't want to see him ever again. And since he did that, he moves on. He wants to stay in touch with them. Remember, they are very small, fledging little church. He's worried and anxious about them because the persecution is not going to let up. It continues. This new religion, Christianity, is certainly not welcome in Thessalonica. Um, So what's happened since he sent that first letter? He's um, received some feedback that they're doing well, their faith is growing. um, So that sort of thing is good. But they're a little bit unsettled. And what has unsettled them has been that uh, this rumour has come through. We don't know who it's from. Could be from within the leadership. Could have been outside. Um, That Jesus has returned. He came back. He did his stuff. He is gone. And he didn't take them. They didn't see him. How weird is that? So that is what we're speak, we're, what he's writing into. There's a couple of other issues that we'll get to in week three with people giving up work and just, maybe they're thinking, well, Jesus is coming, I'll just put my feet up. Um, we're not quite sure either and there are lots of different things we'll get there. So he talks into this situation and he prays for them as well. And this week we're going to focus on chapter one. Now, it might seem quite difficult for you to relate to chapter one because um, I don't know about you, but I wasn't dragged out of my house last night and beaten publicly in the square. Um, So that isn't maybe something we can particularly relate to. But um, we all face trials. Um, This is something we can know a bit of alienation, maybe at the school gate, Uh, We're that weirdo that goes to church or in the office. We can get maybe excluded from invites or things like that. It can be subtle um, 
persecution or marginalization. Um, we all face troubles and trials. That is something we cannot um, escape from. And you might be one of those people that is in that season of faith, uh, maybe even now, where there seems like there's no let up. You know, something happened, you just got out of that, and then something else happened. For example, I don't know, maybe you just gave a one financial difficulty, and this massive bill has now come in, and you're on the next one. Uh, maybe uh, within your family, there's one family member that, oh, they've just come out of that season, but this family member over here is now going into something. It just never seems to end. Or maybe there's a crisis at work, and we've just got through that. Oh, my life. And now there's something else that I've got to face. It never seems like it lets up. And that would have been very much how it felt for these guys, that there was no let-up for them. They maybe got out of one place, but then they're back in another. Um, And one thing, I think... Um, that I'm learning as I get older, and I don't know how you feel, but um, there isn't really anyone that doesn't have trials. Uh, We all like to look at each other, and you'll be looking at me now thinking, well, she has such an easy, lovely life. But that isn't true. We've all got our own challenges, and yes, they are different, and they are very unique to us. And I'm not even going to begin at the beginning of this talk to say that I fully understand what you're going through. So you could be throwing at me now, you don't know what it's like to be, I don't. But equally, we don't know what it's like to be anyone. We just know that actually life is tough for everyone. Okay, so we're going to start with that. Um, Now, imagine that you are clinging on for dear life in your trial, so whatever you're in or have been in. Um... So there you are, and in the middle of that, you find you have some doubts. Okay, just, oh, you don't need to imagine that, do you? Of course we don't need to imagine that, because that is something that is part of faith. Faith and doubt, it goes together. You know, that is the way it is. If you've been a Christian long enough, you'll have been probably through cycles of doubt where you've maybe returned to some of those same questions again and again. I can remember the first sort of massive crisis, I guess, I had was when I was at Bible college, supposed to be at my highest bit of faith, and I was walking through a field and I just stood and thought, this is a load of rubbish. How shocking, isn't it? Shocking. How could anyone think such a thing? But, you know, what we'd been looking at was the persecuted church. And we'd looked at it for a whole term. And the horrendousness and the weight of hearing what was happening to Christians around the world was enough to tear my heart to bits. And I stood there and I had to think, okay, in this, who is my God? What is he like? And what is he doing? Does he even exist? And we're going to come back to that sort of thing. That's part of being a Christian. Sometimes we're embarrassed to admit it. Everyone looks like, oh, they've got it together. Their faith is so good. They're rejoicing. 
actually, this is normal Christianity. And I think something that perhaps we miss is that the early church understood that trials and difficulties and pain were the norm. But maybe we live a little bit in a, well, we have lived in a kind of a wave, particularly in the Western church, I think, of thinking life should work out and we should be happy and joyful and peaceful. So I'm going to start with that. From day one, these Thessalonians knew that. It was persecution. Bam, you're in it and that's where you're staying. And now they've heard Jesus has been and gone. So what does that mean? That's been chucked in. What was all that about? Was it worth the suffering? Why were we even doing that? Now, we might not be as vulnerable to that lie. If someone says, oh, Jesus came back last week, we'd probably laugh quite a lot, wouldn't we? But we are vulnerable to that lie at the back of our head that says Jesus might never come back again. We might be vulnerable to stuff like, you know, I was told if I believed enough, I would be healed. But I haven't been. We might be vulnerable to, I thought God was a God of love. So how can he allow this horrendous suffering? I thought following Jesus meant life would be easier, but my life seems a lot harder now. Or we might be vulnerable to, I understood I'd be blessed, but my life doesn't feel very blessed. And Paul writes into this mindset of perhaps fear and doubt and confusion to this church. So I think he has something today to say to us. So let's read chapter 1 together. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. God is just. He'll pay back trouble to those who have troubled you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at amongst all those who have believed. This includes you, because you've believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring you to fruition, for every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's loads in there we could touch on so please forgive me if I don't touch your favourite verse. Um, We will cover uh, Jesus' return next week so park that in your brains. 
So Paul opens this letter with thanksgiving that they haven't given up. And that all the persecution and trials they're experiencing, they keep going. And remember, in his first letter, um, Paul told them, uh, reminded of this, we kept telling you that you'd be persecuted. Have you ever been told that? Bit of an encourager, isn't he? <laughs> it is the norm. And I don't know about you, but sometimes if you know that difficulty, something's going to be hard, you cope with it better. Because if you're told something's going to be easy and then it's hard, you're like, what's going on? They need to know that it is going to be hard. Life is unavoidably difficult, and accepting that can help us walk in it. Uh, when I was at New Wine this year, I, I went to a seminar about 20s and 30s. And this woman had done research about why people in their 20s and 30s had left the church. Um, and one of, the, one of the things she highlighted was that they hadn't got muscles to wrestle with some of the more difficult issues. Um, and maybe, as I was reflecting on this, you know, we spend a lot of time in church talking about the victories that we have in Jesus. And we can feel a bit embarrassed. So when you're in your 20s and 30s and you hit your first disaster, you don't have the muscles there to kind of wrestle with, well, who is God in this? This has gone disastrously wrong. And I thought that my life would be easy with Jesus. So I'm just putting that out there a little bit. Most of the time when life's going well, I think we fall into that secret lie that um, following Jesus is easy and that's why my life is easy now. But actually that's not true. That we'd be exempt from suffering in some way. We're not. That God gives us some kind of get-out clause. Straightforward and successful life means being blessed. But actually it doesn't. And when trouble comes, we look at God in the face and we rage. Don't worry, it's okay. (laughs) When it comes to our loved ones, they're sick or they're having difficulty and heaven is silent. You're going to be really shocked now. Some expletives might come into your mind. It is not a pretty place to be. But I don't want you to be too hard on yourself. Because when you're staring at God in the face, you're still looking at God. Confusion and rage is looking at God and being willing to wrestle with him there in that moment is what counts. When you come through it, your faith might now look like this. It's just so tiny. But that is okay because that is the mustard seed that Jesus talks about. Before that, maybe that was just candy floss. When we only focus on passages that talk about victories, and they are worth focusing on because God is a God of miracles. He does bring blessings into his life. He is good. He will come through to you. But when we ignore ones like this, then we get a bit shocked by life when it's tricky. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. In Acts, Paul writes, we must go through hardships. 
And Peter says, don't be surprised by what's going on. This is the norm. Life is hard. Deal with it. You know, that is a phrase that's being used more and more. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, our 20s and 30s now that are just coming into life, they've got it a lot harder. They're not on the baby boomer, woo, life's going great. They're on this. And a reality for them is life is hard. And that's okay. One way of dealing with it is saying life is tricky. You have to work hard. You know, strength of Jesus is not just shown in our miracles. You know, we can jump up and down, can't we, at the front and say, God has come through for me, and he does. Don't get me through. Don't get me wrong. But it's also Jesus' strength comes through when we endure, even when he doesn't change the situation. When we feel weak, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel broken, in these moments, people see Jesus' power in us. Because they look and they say, how are you coping with that? How are you enduring? Paul writes about the power of God is made perfect in his weakness. And he accompanies that by saying that he's pleaded with God to remove whatever is going on in his life. Ever pleaded with God? with tears and met silence? Well, Paul was there and God said, my grace is sufficient for you in this situation. You know, when we're squirming and raging, his power can give us hope. When nothing physically can be found. His power sustains us in the valley and who knows, even brings us joy. How weird is that? When nothing in your life has changed, it's still awful. But the hope we have in Jesus, in Psalm 23, says, I'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Sit down, have a feast. I am your hope. I will come through for you. I am here. That's pretty good. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, despite their persecution, he is so proud of them. They're growing in their faith and love for one another. He's been praying this for them. Oh, it's not up there. First Thessalonians, he specifically prays that their love will increase. And it is increasing. And he's going around boasting about what? that they're enduring in those persecutions. Not that they've overcome them. Jesus has miraculously made everyone in Thessalonica become Christians and they're all friends now, but that they're enduring in it. Enduring. Lasting, permanent, patient, long-suffering. God celebrates endurance. And there's no doubt that God does stuff in our difficult times. We can all testify to that. You know, in the past when I failed at something I really wanted to be good at, it was painful. But God was teaching me I don't need to find my identity or value in being good at something. 
It's okay to be rubbish at some stuff. It's fine. You can admit it to others. They don't feel less about you because you say, I am rubbish at this. It is okay. And that's a hard one in a culture that says you have to sell yourself the whole time and pretend that you are amazing at everything and that you have a perfect life. And when I've been in a situation when humanly there's no hope, God has taught me he can come through for me in those situations. He's helped me sometimes, but he hasn't always. So who is he in that situation? He's taught me that in that, even if it doesn't happen, there's hope. And that hope's him. But in all the hard times, when we're not swinging from the chandeliers and saying hallelujah... He is working in us to transform us. James writes this horrible, horrible verse we don't like. Consider it pure joy. Yay! (laughs) My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your face produces perseverance. That's the same word as endurance. We don't like that, do we? Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete What is the maturity we're after? It's to look like Jesus. In our suffering, we see our weakness and our fragility of our faith. Someone said it undresses our pride and self-reliance. Wouldn't want that to happen, would we? My life. Oh, you're going to undress my pride. It invites us to wrestle and writhe in an uncomfortable place. Is God good? Is God real? And is he powerful? And in trials and difficulties, the truth of what's inside us is spilled out and it's messy. A friend of mine is currently in this messy place. She's such a good friend. She's been so faithful in life. She's an example to me. And now she's in a dark place where she's like, I'm not sure about any of this anymore. And if you've been a Christian long enough, you've probably been there. It's okay. It's all right. You know, and I said to her, and she's met with a a really nice pastor the other day, and we've all been saying, you know, you'll get through this because you're willing to sit in it and wrestle in it. I know people at the moment that are Christians, but they've left the church because they didn't feel like they could wrestle about these things in the church. Isn't that sad? This should be the place where we've met. Yeah, it's hard. These are difficult questions. Let's be honest about them. But the fact you're wrestling shows something amazing. We're all wrestling. In this messy place, God rebuilds our faith, not on sand, but on a rock that can't be moved and there is an enemy out there who is more than willing to wrestle with you outside of the church and wrestle you into unbelief so stay in the church verse 5 Paul writes all this the difficulties okay let me read it from here because that's all right all this is evidence that God's judgment is right and as a result you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. He isn't saying their suffering makes them worthy, but rather their endurance. The fact they're staying going shows that God has got them. 
that they're willing to stick it out in the middle, even if it's a tiny bit of faith, they've not left. The process of change to become like Christ can be done in several different ways. One of the ways is spiritual disciplines. We're changing, we're learning, this is good, we're reading the Bible, we're finding out what we should and shouldn't be doing, and we're practicing it, and we're asking the Holy Spirit to come and change us. There's another way. And it's quite brutal, and that is through our experiences, the things we endure, the difficulties we face. They change us and mold us and create us and make us more like Jesus. And that's something we don't like to hear. God uses these experiences to bring about change. He'll not let evil have the last day. He redeemed even the most hideous imaginable moment in history, the death of his son. And that's what Paul goes on next. In verse 6, he talks about God is just, that he'll pay back trouble for those who trouble you. He'll give rest and peace to you who are troubled. Paul fixes their eyes on the hope. He says, you're all troubled. Yes, you're in this trouble, but fix your eyes there because our saviour is coming back and he will sort this out. And he'll be glorified in his holy people. Verse 12 tells us, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. That we'll see his glory in us. That we'll be made more like him. That we'll reflect his glory once more. I think in life one of the hardest things is pointless pain. I'm not one of these people that suffers. If I get a headache, I am straight to the drawer. I am not like those people who go, I can't take a pill. I'll be fine. I'll just go to bed. That is not me. I am so not into pointless pain. But when I was pregnant, I was in a lot of pain all the time. And I couldn't take any drugs for it. But you know what? You just somehow endure it. Because you know it's worth something. It's got an end result. And some of that pain is pointless, in a sense, because... You don't need to have a difficult pregnancy where you're in pain all the time. You could be just joyously, you know, blooming or whatever some people do. I don't know. Um, but the end result, it's worth it. You know what's coming. And that enables you, even in there, to have joy. And that's like, God, sometimes, you know, we're not excluded from suffering and pain in this world and difficulties. But we can have joy in it because we know what's coming, that God will put everything right. He will pay back the evil that's been done. He will give us peace and rest. So strength to endure patiently, maybe that doesn't sound very strong or dynamic or wild. And we may not get free of our ongoing battles. But... If we're in it and we're still clinging on, even by our fingertips, God's got something to work with. And in there comes that quiet joy. Endurance, patience, perseverance is something that God celebrates. In Revelation, let me find it because I've lost it in my notes. Where am I? I don't know. That's the wrong way around. There we go. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. 
You can turn with it if you like. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, these are the words of him who holds the stars in his right hand. Might come up actually. There we go. And walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And have found the false. Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. And Jesus celebrates that. He celebrates their endurance. Paul says elsewhere, for your light and momentary trouble, doesn't feel that light, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then again in Romans, I consider that our present suffering are nothing, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, the change that is going to happen and is happening in us. Jesus celebrates endurance and sometimes we fear doubts and questions in difficult times but they're also places of joy because of our willingness to wrestle affirms that we are his. The person who emerges is not the same person that went into the trial. The faith might look smaller but it is stronger. And today you might be hanging on your fingertips or even thinking about letting go. But the fact that you're here indicates that you haven't fully stopped wrestling. You're just resting. Jesus has us. He says, we are in his hand. No one can pluck us out of that hand. And he will gaze one day on you made like him. And he will see glory. Strength to endure patiently. As I said, it doesn't sound strong. But what is strong is when people look at us and they see the strength of Christ in us in that moment. The final passage I want us to consider is the Hebrews passage, which talks about the example of our faith. It mentions endurance there. What did Jesus endure? He endured the cross. He endured opposition. And what kept him going in all of this was the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? When we look at this world and it's all its hideousness, the joy before him is a world that there is no sin in. The joy before him is us redeemed. The joy before him is a place where people don't die. The joy before him is a place where people don't suffer, where there's no fear where there's no anxiety, where there's no pain. Was it worth it to go to the cross for this world in all its hideousness? It was the joy set before him that helped him to endure. And that is our joy too. The joy set before us is that place where he is reigning. It's not only in our victories that people see Christ. But they see him in our apparent defeats. It is our holding on to a mustard seed of faith, still attending church, still saying the odd prayer, still serving, still wanting to see Christ's power revealed. 
That is the power of Christ in us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we know that you are good. We know that you're faithful. We know that you are true. We know all this stuff in our head, but sometimes we don't always fully know that in our hearts. Jesus, it can be scary when we talk about doubts and fears and questions. We can sometimes feel like we're the only one. can make us feel isolated and alone. Jesus, for those of us here that are in that place of fear, because it is a frightening place to be, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come. And that we would know your presence. And for those of us on the other side, maybe in a a time of rest, Help us um, not only to speak of the victories of coming out the other side, but help us to speak of the struggles within, to encourage one another to keep going and keep wrestling. Jesus, I pray that you would open our eyes, even in our difficulties, to see the joy of you, the hope of you, to know more of you, and that your Holy Spirit, the great teacher, would continue to teach us and explain our questions to us. And Father, we pray for us as a community that we would be honest with one another, that we wouldn't be fearful of sharing our fears and doubts but that we'd be open and that together we can run this race, cheering each other on, praying for each other, carrying each other when necessary, that we could finish this race and win the prize that is to know you face to face.